you have your copy of God's Word with you, I do invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We will be reading the final verses of this chapter in our series of looking for comfort in times of trial and difficulty. We've been talking about the topic of holiness for the last several sermons from this chapter as Peter introduces this book um, with a heavy emphasis upon our call to be holy. In fact, I would dare say that Peter's thesis is holiness is a direct consequence of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And it is that holiness that will see us through times of difficulty and of trial. Well, here in our passage this morning, Peter is going to call us once again to holiness. But this time he will do so through the channel of true and sincere love. I believe John says it well in 1 John 4, 19, in which he says, We love because he first loved us. Our love is an outflowing. It's an outflowing of the love that has been shown to us. And our capacity to love, I would say, is an expression of our holiness. The more we know God and understand what He's done for us, the more we are able to love others. Peter roots this in the very nature of God Himself. And by doing so, he's calling us today to study our God and ponder the depths of His love before challenging us to turn to loving others in a likewise fashion. With these as kind of a background to what we will see in our text, would you look with me as I read from the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Indeed, the grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and he has promised in his word it will accomplish everything he has set out for it today. Would you once again please bow with me as we go to our Lord and ask for his help in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we have heard it read. Now may we understand it. May it not just go in one ear and out the other. May it not just be the topic of discussion for the next 30 to 40 minutes and then we go on our way. But may your word this morning pierce bone and marrow. May it pierce to the very soul through the power of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we might receive your truth and that it might change our lives. And not only our lives, but the lives of those around us as we joyfully proclaim it to the world. Give us the strength for the things needed this morning, O Lord. Give us clarity, give us understanding, and above all else, may you be glorified. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I don't know about you, but we are quickly entering my favorite time of the year. Those of you that have spent any length of time around me know that I would wear flannel every day for the rest of my life and be perfectly content in that. Being in the Midwest, I have learned the compromise, the button-down and vest combo, but this time of year just evokes certain sensibilities. It, it evokes certain emotions. There's certain things from my childhood. I'm a, I'm a fall birthday. I love the color palette of the fall, leaving the bright colors to more muted oranges and browns and yellows. It, it just takes me back to my childhood and my upbringing. It also strikes me at how time marches on. Whether you are one who loves the summer and is clinging to it with all that you have each morning you get up and it's just a couple of degrees cooler, or whether you've been praying for its end since June, time marches on, doesn't it? And nothing can stop it. Seasons come and seasons go. And in some ways, we really are simply participants in the ever-changing world around us. I can very easily picture that Peter was in the midst of one of these seasonal changes as he wrote the passage we read this morning. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Those words bring to mind the seasonal life cycle of the world around us. And I believe that that's part of his point. I believe he is drawing us to the marching of time. The author of Ecclesiastes really hones in on this. One passage of many we could see, probably the most famous passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3, just the first four verses. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. The author will continue on giving a season, a time for everything. You know, the finite nature of man, when compared to the infinite nature of our God, it should make us reflective. It should make us ponder the purpose of our lives and what will endure in the end. And what Peter is saying from our passage is that it's God's word and God himself, his holiness will endure. And we who trust in Him will endure because of it and through it. It's because of this, this morning, I want us to see three different ways the gospel acts in power. And those acts in power should make us reflect both on our God and on ourselves. First, I want us to see that the gospel has the power to change lives. To go from death to life. We find this in verses 22 and 23. Secondly, we see that the word of the Lord has the power to endure. That God's word is lasting. That it is eternal. That it is unchanging. Find that in verses 24 and 25. And then finally, the word of God has the power of good news. It is good news. And it is good news for us today. As we consider our God and who He is, 
May we learn to love one another because of it. That will be our task this morning. And with that in mind, let's begin by considering how our passage demonstrates the power to change lives. And Peter starts this conversation by once again drawing this right back to where we've been this whole chapter, and that is of obedience. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Obey. I've mentioned it before, but quite often we look at that word in a negative. We think about it related to punishment. But when God calls us to obey, it is for our good. It is for our benefit. It will bless us. It will bring Him honor. But let's do take just a minute and try to understand what Peter is saying here. Because what he's going to say, and, and we know this already, he's very good at those conditional statements. And it's because we obey, because we understand God, that we will then move on and learn how to love. So let's think about it. Peter says we are to purify our souls by obedience to the truth. Now there's two ways to interpret that statement. Two different views held by very reliable commentators. One option is to believe that Peter is referring here to the point of conversion. The point in which your soul is purified is the moment in which you submit, you yield your life to Christ. You claim his righteousness for yourself. You lay down your sin. You lay down your identity. You lay down your burdens at the feet of the cross and you take upon Christ's yoke. And you say, I trust in you by faith, Jesus Christ. Forgive me and save me and make me yours. That most certainly would be a moment in which our souls are purified, isn't it? I love how uh, one commentator said it. The obedience to the truth of which Peter speaks is the initial submission to the claims of the gospel. In saving faith, the truth of God is heard and heeded. Not only are we purified by the word, we're given new birth by the living and enduring word of God. We are changed. As long as we recognize the purification taking place is through the work of the Holy Spirit and by the death and resurrection of Christ, I do think this is a good way to interpret this passage. Peter is saying that what comes next, namely to be able to rightly love, comes from that moment of conversion. To rightly be able to even understand how to love, much less rightly love, you have to be right with God. Because that is the greatest act of love. That is the moment of which love flows from us and through us. When we understand what's been done, we can then send it out for others. There is another way to interpret the passage, though. The, another way, the, the, the second option, and other commentators feel as strongly about this, is this is a time when you are growing. Purifying your soul is growing in holiness, which has been the topic of this chapter. The Tyndale commentary says this, Peter has post-conversion growth in moral purity in mind here. The purification signifies clear progress in gaining more purity from the moral pollution of sin, a concept very similar to James 4.8 and 1 John 3.3. 3. 
in this understanding, purifying your soul is living out the commands of God. It cannot be in truth and word alone. It must be truth and deed. Now, this does not deny the necessity of the word of God or the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it does mean we must set our minds and our hearts toward it if we want any hope of achieving it in our lives. To put it differently, the way you are purified is by living out what God has done for you. God saved you, God changed you, God gave you a new name, God gave you a new identity, he has made you his, and then he said, now, because this has happened, follow me, follow my word. And as you do that, and you learn to do that, and you grow in that, and you, you strive for that, you are purifying your very soul. As you cast out the sin of your life, or the Lord, excuse me, cast out the sin of your life, as you seek to be like him, more holy, this would in some ways, fit the exact theme of 1 Peter 1. Now, you might say to me, Pastor, give me the answer. I've heard two commentators give me two good understandings for this passage. I need an answer, and you'd be right to ask that. I think they're both right. My answer is to believe them both. I do believe the purification of our souls comes through believing in the gospel. I do believe it is that moment in which we go from death to life, that we yield and we trust by faith. We go from being blood-stained to washed as white as snow. Our sins are forgiven. How can you get more pure than that? And then, what happens? What happens at that point? We then want to, we then are striving to live our life in accord with this word. That drives us to holiness. That drives us to then live it out, to seek to obey, to seek to honor. And so it's not a either or, it's a yes and yes. By submitting to God, thus purifying us from eternal damnation, we then are transformed and are being transformed to daily die to sin and live for Christ. And so I believe all of the commentators are right on this passage. You may say that's a cheap way to answer it, and I wouldn't disagree, but that is what I see here taking place. And I do think it fits in line with Peter's message for holiness and the need of the gospel. And this is backed up by continuing in the passage. I was very intentional where I paused. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love... Then we get the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart and his reason, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We are commanded, love one another earnestly with sincere brotherly love. Now, I always like to comment on this. I'm the oldest of three siblings. They don't mean what we would show as love for one another um, as brothers. They mean biblically, not, you know, I'm going to lock you in the closet, but I'm going to give you a light so you're not in the dark. They mean caring for and serving and sacrificing for one another. I, I, I just offer that. I feel that that resonates with a lot of you. But um, the command is clear. Love one another with sincere brotherly love. And this love is not easy. 
Make no mistake, contrasting it to that way that siblings show affection um, does not mean that it's a piece of cake. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it was one of the first places that, that came to mind, um, you hear these uh, de- describing features of this kind of love that Peter's calling us to. Patient, kind, not of envy or of boasting, not arrogant or rude, not resentful or irritable, it rejoices with truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. This is what Peter's calling us to here. Love one another in truth. Love one another in kindness. Love one another sacrificially. Love one another in patience. Love one another believing the truth because we've been born again. Because we've been born of an imperishable seed. And, and Peter did something really clever here. He, he kind of snuck it in and he's going to pick it back up here in our second and third section. But see how he brought eternity into the matter? See how he calls us to love and he ties it to eternity. This was very intentional on Peter's part. Not by perishable, but imperishable. By life, not by death. He's calling our attention to something outside of ourselves, something greater than us, something everlasting, something meaningful. And what we find when we shift from our call to love one another to the enduring word of God is just that, that his word endures. Would you look with me at our second section as he, he continues this argument and once again he, he opens our eyes and opens our minds to that of eternal matters. And I will, will say, I cannot remember which pastor I learned um, to conclude the reading of God's word with that, uh, that phrase, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, it would have been either Dr. Ligon Duncan, um, of which I spent my first year um, under Reformed theology uh, sitting in his church. It could have been um, uh, Pastor Carl Calberkamp, um, at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Now, but one of those men, it could have even been Caleb Cangelosi, um, taught me um, through their preaching and their ministry that this is a precious statement. It is a declaration that what has been said, because it is God's word, it will, one, outlast all of us, and two, it is guaranteed to be beneficial and good and for us today. It, it, it's one of those things, and, and we, we talk about it as a session. Um, if something was to happen to me, heaven forbid, on a, on a Sunday morning, and um, you were without a pastor, we've got several phone calls to make, but if we needed to, we could get one of the elders up here, and they could read the Word of God, we could pray, and we could conclude, and you would be blessed that day. You would have heard from the Word of God. That would be sufficient for you. Now, you would have lacked the, the, the teaching and the, the, the application of it, but God's word is enough because of its nature, because of who it is and where, or because of what it is and where it comes from. So much of this life is chaos and an uncertainty, isn't it? So many of our trials are due to not knowing what's ahead. Whether that's the next moment, whether that's this next week, whether that's the next year, whether that's 10 years from now, we're not sure. 
Jesus himself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why worry about tomorrow? Let tomorrow worry about itself. He understood what we face on a daily basis, this, this unknown and the, the conflict that it causes us. And the Bible very clearly contrasts all of that uncertainty, all of that chaos, all of that disorder with the solid rock, Jesus Christ, which what did John call him? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with him in the beginning. There was nothing made that was not made through him. When Peter uses this language to encourage a struggling church, he is simply quoting someone else. He's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah, similarly, preaching, teaching, warning a suffering church. And Isaiah 40, 7 through 8 says this, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In this section, Isaiah is calling for comfort to be given to Jerusalem. God is commanding him to speak truth to them and comfort them with comfort that only he can provide. It's a beautiful chapter. So how is the fact that they are mortal comfort? How is the fact that they are like grass in which the Lord can blow away at a moment's notice? How is that encouraging to the church? How does that encourage us today? Well, it can only be comfort if God is not these things. You see, what they are saying is we are like grass, but God is not. God's beauty does not fade. Our beauty does. God is everlasting. We are mortal. Calvin points out in his commentary on this passage we must take comfort in God's word standing forever. The one who blows the grass cares for his people. He is the one who will ultimately provide for us. Now I think to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. If you've ever worked with cattle or with sheep, um, but there's some, <laughs> a good bit of truth there. He makes me to lie down. He lies, he sets me, you rest, you dumb, dumb sheep. There is, there is no coincidence that we are called sheep in Scripture. You need this. Drink, you need this. You are fragile, you are delicate. And our eternal and our omnipotent God knows this and he provides for us. Man is like a mist, here today and gone tomorrow. Again, quoting Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that our life is like trying to catch smoke. It is here today, and then it is gone as it slips through our fingers. Time is fastly and consistently moving on, and yet God remains. Scripture is full of the sobering reality of time, but please take the lesson here. It should encourage us as it did the early church. The trials you are facing today will not outlast the word of God. The difficulties that are before you even this hour will not make it to the day of judgment. Now I, I say this in soberness and I say this with encouragement. That may mean the Lord calls you home because of them. He may call you home through them. But guess what? Then they're over. 
He may return. Christ may come back in the midst of these trials, in the midst of these difficulties. And then guess what? They are over. He may see you through them. And even still, they are over. But whichever way the Lord chooses to see you through the trials you are facing today, they will not outlast his word. They will not outlast his goodness. They will not outlast his love for you. They will not outlast him. Unless we look at our life and we look at our challenges and go, well, mine are small. Remember, the church that Peter is writing to has lost everything. Are scrambling for identity, are, are struggling to make it, are struggling to survive, are facing constant persecution, are facing difficulty. And it's because of this that Peter says, All flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This made me very um, retrospective. You know, I was thinking about the Roman Empire, which was most likely the, the cause of the, the strain on this church, or these churches. And looking at the Roman Empire as a, as a big picture, um, historians argue that the reign of the Roman Empire was about a thousand years. Not bad. That, that, that's not bad. Um, especially when you think about the age of, of, of our country. It was considered one of the greatest and most influential civilizations in the world. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to see it today. If, if you were ever given it, I encourage it. It is a tourist attraction. A few rocks, parts of the Colosseum, which is totally awesome. That's it. Pieces. This is where we think this might have been. This is what we think this building was. This pillar could have held up this. That's all that's left. Some stones in the ground, which that is actually pretty impressive. Their, their roadways and, and the technology that they had available with what they had available. But you come and you take pictures and you leave. And that's the extent of the conversation we have about the Roman Empire today. To me, what's more impressive, as we said at the beginning of this series, Peter wrote this somewhere between 60 and 64 A.D., Still reading it. Even, even better, um, the book of Isaiah, probably around 740 B.C. We quoted from it this morning. You want to talk about something that lasts? You want to talk about something that is still relevant? You want to talk about something that is still helpful? The word of the Lord. We could go back, to, we could go even further. We could go to Genesis and all the, the trouble we have with, with dating it and... Um, I mean, we're talking thousands of years. And it is just as important, just as beneficial for you and for me today as it was when it was written, when it was spoken. Because the word of the Lord is good news. God's word is a reflection of God himself. It is eternal. It changes lives. It calls us to love. It lasts forever. And it is good news. Would you think with me um, one more time as we look at our final verse to see just how this is good news. I worked for a school for a brief time and we had a memo that went out and uh, there weren't any announcements that day. It was a blanket memo. It said, no news is good news. And I always chuckled at that. There's a lot of truth to it. But I'm here to tell you today the good news that we proclaim this morning is good news. And it is good news for you. It is good news for you today. It is still relevant. 
This word is the good news that was preached to you. God's word had been preached to the scattered churches. They had heard the truth. It was good and it was for their benefit. And because of that, they are compelled to share it with others. Back to his topic of love. Because God has loved us, because we've heard the truth, because we've had our eyes open, we are to then share it. Give it away. For those that we're in the Meet the Pastor Sunday School class. This morning we looked at the mission and vision of Christ the Redeemer. You all have it there with you on your bulletin, um, on the insert if you want to look at it or you want to look at it later. Our mission of Christ the Redeemer is to mature as a community of Christians who love to worship God, study His Word, and proclaim the gospel, His gospel, to the world. Each of these identifying markers are dependent upon the word of God being good news. If God's word is not good news, then there's far better ways we can spend our time. We could think of far more creative things to do with each other for a couple hours on Sunday mornings. But because it is good news, and we believe that, our name, and we talked about this in the class, our very name was set to define that Christ, the Redeemer. He is our friend He speaks truth. He does give us moral examples, but it's more than that. It's it's, it's greater than that. He is the Redeemer. And His Word changes lives. So much so, the mission of this church, who we say we are, is wrapped around a community of Christians who love to worship God, study His Word, and proclaim His gospel to the world. We cannot mature if God's word is not good news. We cannot worship if God has not told us how in his word. We cannot study his word without his offering our guidance, us guidance and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we most certainly cannot proclaim the gospel if we do not know it first ourselves. We, who we are as a church is centered around the word of God being true and it beneficial for all peoples. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You look with our mission, it's right there in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, the gospel. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ commanded us, Christians, believers today, go and make disciples, make his word known, proclaim his truth to the world. That's who we are. And who do we hope to be? Our vision vision statement is twofold. First, to be a center for the worship of God in our community. Second, to be a training ground for disciples of Jesus Christ. When we look forward and when we pray as leadership of this church, where do we want to see this church? If God sustains it 100, 200 years from now, when we're long gone, when we're dead and forgotten, We want this church to stand for the word of God and to be training people here and now and to be sharing that word with more and more and more until he returns. We seek to be a place where God is rightly worshipped. We seek to be a place where others are brought in, shown the word of God, are taught how to love him and rightly worship him. 
And we simply take it from Scripture because the Word of God is good news. It is good news that has been preached to you today. And in case you've not heard it, you in your sin deserves death and hell. You can do nothing to make yourself right before a sovereign and holy God other than make yourself unworthy. You have disobeyed, defiled His commandments, and deserve the punishment that has come to you. But Christ, but Christ, the Son of God and God Himself, He came, He lived, He died, He rose again, perfectly obeying, fulfilling the commandments of Scripture. And He went to the Lord. He offered Himself, His own blood as a sacrifice on the behalf of His brothers and sisters and said, God, forgive them. And if you but today trust in Him by faith, you take Him at His word and you say, He is true, He is good. Noticing your finiteness should cause you to see the infiniteness of God. Seeing your mistakes and seeing your failures should drive you to the perfection that is Christ. And if you cling to that today, if you rest in that today, if you hope in that today, you will be saved. Trust in the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin and you will be saved today and forever. For we really are Well, I've been speaking about us in terms of mortality. We really are eternal beings. We will stand either in God's presence for all eternity or in His judgment. And that will last forever. But if this is truly good news, if this truly is good news for you today, believe in it. And just by conclusion, coming back full circle, I'll tell you what that will do for your life. You will then share it. You won't be able to help it. It will come out in conversations, in how you work, in how you treat your children, in how you treat your neighbors, even when the neighbor's dog poops in your yard. It will change everything about your life, even those inconveniences, even those difficulties, even the major trials. That's like comical. I'm talking medical diagnosis, loss of loved ones, loss of job, loss of community, unforeseen circumstances. Even in those moments, this is good news. Because God has loved us, we will be able to love others. And by the way, dear church, we will be with you. It's one of the beauties of the church. It's one of the blessings of who we are. Preaching about trials can be a difficult matter, but I love preaching about trials to the church because you're not alone. That's in here too. It's promised. And because it is promised, we know it will be fulfilled. God's word is powerful, God is eternal. And as we turn to him, he is glorified and he will give us the strength to make it through this life and all the challenges we face. Would you please go with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the good news of your word. I thank you that it provides the power to change lives. And I mean truly and drastically change lives from death to life, from sin to righteousness from a desire for the things of this world to a desire for you, O God. I thank you for its eternal nature and that it can be trusted. Here we are reading it several thousand years after some of it's been written. And it is still good for us today. For while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands and remains forever. And it is good news. We praise you for this, O Lord. And I pray that it brings your people comfort this day and each and every day as they look ahead. And finally, O Lord, I do just pray that you would come quickly. 
We all have trials that we're facing of various kinds and various severities. Would you come back soon? Ease us from those trials. Make all things new and draw us to yourself. I pray all of this through the perfect name of Jesus Christ who shed his blood on our behalf. Amen.